What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to The Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine doctor. I get to consult people around the world and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum and Ketotarian. If you want to learn more about the clinical work that we do, the telehealth center, becoming a patient. There's lots of free resources there for you as well. You can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. Listeners of The Art of Being Well, we have a brand new book coming out. It's my fourth book. It's called Gut Feelings, Healing the Shame-Fueled Relationship Between What You Eat and How You Feel. So it's really talking about a lot of the topics that we talk about on the podcast the connection between mental health and physical health and the exciting science around how stress and shame and trauma and intergenerational trauma, how those things can be stored in the body, impacting our nervous system, impacting inflammation levels, our hormones, our gut-brain axis. But then conversely, how underlying gut problems like SIBO and people that have food sensitivities and different chronic infections like mold toxicity and chronic Lyme disease, things that we see clinically at the Shella Health Center, how those physiological things impact the mental, emotional. So that's, the book's called Gut Feelings, the physiological and the psychological, gut and feelings. I'm so excited. We're giving away tons of free stuff when you pre-order. You get access to a mastermind with Dr. Daniel Amen and Dr. Nicole LaPera, who also wrote the foreword of the book, and Dr. Caroline Leaf. And you get access to so many different free stuff. We're giving it away. It's all that information for the Gut Feelings pre-order campaign is at drwillcole.com. And we're also giving away free signed books when you rate and review The Art of Being Well. So all you have to do is go over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the Art of Being Well on Apple Podcast, And every month, no matter when you listen to this episode, it doesn't matter, every month we will be randomly picking winners and I'll reach out to you and ask which book you want me to sign and I'll send it out to you. So you can do it two different ways. You can leave your Instagram handle in the Apple Podcast review itself, or you can message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole and send me the screenshot of your Apple Podcast review. And every month we'll be going through the messages on Instagram as well as the Apple Podcast reviews. And yeah, good luck. 
And I have to say, <laughs> but we want you to be honest. Say whatever you is on your heart. We want you to tell us about what, what you love about the show, right? We want to get the message out there as far as the podcast and the reviews really help, just like you all listening to the podcast and sharing it with friends and family really help. But there was a funny review recently and it said it was it was the f- it wasn't even that low of a star I don't think I think it was three yeah it was she <laughs> was average right but I mean some people right they they at the end of the review they said I love the information of the podcast but the 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 sorority girls sorority sisters yeah so sorority sisters on the podcast what did they say about it. What was about the sorority? Like, we laughed too much. Yeah, we have gotten too much along fun, the lines right? of like, but I, I've had enough of the sorority or something like so, that. Man, I don't have it pulled look, up. But. People are, are keyboard warriors, right? Yeah. They would never say that to your face. I love that mm. comment, though. It's I fine. Mean, they yeah. they might have meant to hurt our feelings, but bring it. And that's yeah. okay. You don't want to realize <laughs> that you're, there's it. other people at the end of the, what you're saying online. And that wasn't even that. Bad. No, that wasn't I mean, that mean. Social but... media can get so much worse than that. But it's still like, ow. Like that's, I mean, they're talking about, I'm assuming the, the AMAs because we have fun. We make <laughs> health and nutrition and functional medicine and labs. We make science fun. It's okay. Yeah. And I think it's also too, it's like if a guy laughs a lot, it's whatever jovial. But if it's a girl laughs, mm-hmm. it's like sorority Automatically girl. valley yeah. girl, sorority But it's sister. women dogging on other women. I don't like that. Yeah. I mean, I understand honesty. I'm all for it. But it's like, why do you have to take a dig at someone's like personality? It just yeah. seems mean. Yeah, it is mean. <laughs> and I'm not offended personally. It sounds like I'm offended. But I'm offended. I'm, I'm, offended. I'm not offended. But it's but like, it's fine. I, I do feel like it's problematic in our Let's culture to it. make digs about people and make yeah. that. We should yeah. not normalize that. Anyways. Yeah, it's, it basically was like, you like what I'm saying, but you don't like how I sound. Like, yes, right. Like, you love the content, but don't laugh so much. Yeah. Right. Ooh. <laughs> it's yeah, fine. Anyways, we love you anyways. Let's go. We Let's love go. you anyways. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll, we'll try to laugh less. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the, Just the Delta Pi podcast. <laughs> A-W-E. <laughs> What are the Greek letters for DWC? We yeah, can, right. Oh, yeah. Yes. All right. Anyway, so you all know at the end, almost at the end, most of the regular episodes when I'm talking to one of my friends in wellness, I'll answer one of your health questions in an Ask Me Anything. If you didn't know, if you don't listen to, through the entire episode, yes, they're at the end of the episodes. But these are entire episodes, the Ask Me Anything episodes that you all submit your questions and we'll get to as many as possible. And you can submit any health question you want. It could be about hormones, inflammation, gut health, brain health, longevity. It could be about labs. It could be about anything in science and health science. So submit your questions. We add it to a Google Doc. And yeah, let's jump right into, oh, to say this, I didn't say, I didn't introduce you guys. You all know, if you listen to the podcast, you know, we have the brilliant patient team at the telehealth center. We have Andrea and Emily. She's the president of the sorority. (laughs) (laughs) She's the least giggly out of everybody here. She is. Yes, our clinic manager. Oh, I'm extremely giggly. You got, no, I have two different personalities. There's work Andrea and then there's out of work Andrea. I'm more giggly. You're, you're, you're big sis. I'm little sis. Yeah. Yes. I'm, you're my big. Well, I'm your little. What am I? <laughs> what am I? <laughs> Listen, I had a lot of sororities. <laughs> you're, the, you're the pledge, Holly. You're the little child. Oh, yeah. Do I think, what is it? Hazed or tased? Oh, oh tased. I'm not sure. But no, either way. Not that's, no, don't go to that sorority. <laughs> 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 Taze you. That one you don't want to be a part of. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not normal. Anyways, and then, so yes, we have the, the patient team is here with me and Holly, 
who you all know, Holly. DJ Holly D. She, she gets all. <laughs> she compiles and aggregates all of your health questions, and she works on our patient liaison team, just ex- improving patient experience, and she coordinates with the patient team. So she's here I'm as here. your representative listener of the Art of Being Well to answer the patient team and I. Your health questions. So let's get right into it. Oh, let's go right yes. into it. Okay, first question. This person says, I am just starting my journey with functional medicine, but my spouse isn't really supportive and doesn't think it is worth the investment. I feel confident in moving forward with this approach, but I know how important it is to have a good support system. How do I handle this if my spouse or significant other isn't on board? All right, so I'll go at this first, and I know we all have lots of thoughts of this. Look, we've been doing telehealth in functional medicine for 13 years plus right now, Andrea, right? I mean, it's like- 13 pl- years plus. This I've been is saying my... 12, but I realized that No, you need to count. up that. You're a couple months before me. So <laughs> wow. you're like 13 plus. This is my 13th year. You guys are getting old. Month. I know, I for know. For real, it's showing in. your age. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I'm 23. I've been doing this since I was 10. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the reality is we see- the dynamics, the family dynamics, relationship dynamics, partnership dynamics, marriage dynamics, so often. Mm -hmm. Everybody's family system, support system looks different. So there's so much complexity here and nuance, but I would say generally speaking, it's definitely a huge benefit to get the people that you do life with whether that's a spouse or your closest friend or people Mm. that you live with, like roommates, to get them at least to some degree on board. And then when you're talking about food, there's also the practical application of, all right, if we develop and curate a food protocol based on your labs or your gut health or your food sensitivities, is it practical for most families to cook two different meals? Can we modify it for the family? Or, you know, for some people it is like fend for yourself. I'm on my healing journey for this season. It's not going to be forever. So these are the things that we have to to take into consideration. These are the bridges that we have to cross with our patients. So to get their family at least to some degree on board is hugely helpful. And But there's a spectrum, right? It's a spectrum of are they just, they don't understand it and they are open, but they don't really understand it. Or are they actually vehemently aggressively shaming you, delegitimizing you. We aren't therapists here, right? But we can at least provide our perspective. And sometimes it's human nature, it's sad. Sometimes it's the messenger, not the message. So sometimes if they hear it from the team in us and we show labs, this is black and white, your, your partner isn't just quote unquote dramatic. They aren't a hypochondriac. We actually can see why they feel the way that they feel. Sometimes it's an aha moment for their partner. Yeah. But look, we see people that it's, they aren't even willing to go on the telehealth visit to go over the labs and we still get them better. It's just waters that we have to navigate. And look, not that this is a common occurrence, but I can name a few when they've reclaimed their health Mm -hmm. and they feel confident in their body and they realize, whoa, the things that were sabotaging my health wasn't just my underlying gut problem. It wasn't just the foods I was eating. It wasn't just trauma from my past. It was also my relationship. And we see people leave relationships because it's like, wow, you really were not for me my entire journey. So the old things can pass away in different forms. But what do you all think? 
I have so many feelings about this, having done this for 13 years. And to wrap up your point, uh, well, what you were saying is, I think what you when people do leave those relationships, what we're seeing is a symptom of something much larger. Oh, yeah, and, right. And that's, and that's really right, what it right. is. It's, it's a, not the food changes. It's not the, right. just the wellness thing. It was yeah, everything. Like they were like, oh, yeah, you you wouldn't even get on board with eating some, you know, gluten-free pasta. Yeah. I can only – it was a bigger right. symptom of something. So I Fully, that's what I meant. I mean, yeah. It's like this is like a bigger mm-hmm. issue than yeah. just this, right? <laughs> yes. no, like, don't you want you don't to think pizza, like, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I would say in all seriousness, I have a lot of feelings about this. I think that when me and you first got started – you know, a decade plus ago, we had this mentality of if I cared more than you cared, then you were going to be successful. Mm. And when you didn't care as much as we cared, it felt defeating. And I think that that's what people see in relationships is that you care more than someone else cares and it can feel defeating. But that doesn't mean you still can't accomplish something. Yeah. Right. And right. so I think that for me, it's it's really about empowering that person. What can you do, even if it's not perfect? Because if you expect perfection, you're going to get failure and no one wants to feel like that. So again, that could even be your significant other, your spouse's deterrent is they don't want to feel like a failure. They're sick of failure. They want you to just be happy. And so for us, it's about that education of, well, we're not trying to get you to be perfect. We're trying to get you to feel better and help you know what does and does not work for you. So I think like Will said, some of that is just education and empowering that person to know that we're not looking to upheave your life just for the sake of it. We're mm-hmm. doing it and we're going to encourage you and support you and be there for you. And yeah. I think that education is important. I, I say this all the time. You can't do better if you don't know better. And so it's not about shaming you into good choices. It's about educating you so that you feel empowered to make the best choices. And sometimes your spouse just needs to see you doing that. Yeah. Sometimes your significant other just needs to see you doing that. And once you start to feel better, they're like, I don't even care what you're doing because yeah. you feel better. And that's what we hear right. from their convention doctors oftentimes, but we don't get it. Like whatever you're doing, keep on doing it is something mm-hmm. that I hear on a monthly basis from people when they have their doc- their conventional doctor's visits and they haven't seen them for six months or a year and they see this dramatically healthier person. But I see the same thing with, mm-hmm. with partners and spouses and family members. And let's just say it's extended family too. Yes. It's 100%. not just the family in the home. I mm-hmm. see this a lot with parents that are like, I don't right. get it. And they I just pack yeah. my own Thanksgiving dinner for six years and I work here. Finally, I can get a few things at my Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, I mean, yeah it's, oh, it's so holidays, true. any time of the year. It's like, whoa, we see them doing something different. And there's a lot of baggage and interesting dynamics that families can yeah. hold. Yeah. We talk a lot about this with patients, especially around the holidays, just because we know that that can be hard. There's a lot of questions that come up or even just comments like, what do you mean? You can't have this for one day or you can't do this or that doesn't make sense to me. Or, and so we do talk a lot about this with patients and I always encourage patients. And especially when we start care with somebody, we encourage them to write down the vision as to, you know, what they want to gain from their journey and whether it's just with us or just the journey in general, like, why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you want to get healthy? Why do you want to get better? And I always bring up that vision. You know, what was your vision for starting this? What was, you know, what is your why? And you have to understand that not everybody is meant to understand Mm -hmm. your vision because it's not their vision. And so I think that, yes, it can be harder when it is your partner and your, your significant other. But just like you guys were saying, I do think that they're going to see the fruit of what is happening to you by getting healthier. And even if they don't understand it to the point where they want to do it, because some people, I think we do see that with some partners they are like, well, Hey, I need to get on board and do this now. 
But you're not always going to see that. But they might understand it to the point of like, wow, like I, I love to see you in this way, even though maybe it's not something I could commit to right now or whatnot. Because you're planting seeds too. So you never know exactly what that's going to look like. I think my spouse and I, I mean, my partner and I, we've had completely different just health journeys. And it was definitely hard for me because he didn't get it for a long time. But he's had his own journey and his own come to, you know, Jesus moment in a way of like <laughs> understanding that, hey, I've, I've got to do this for myself. And that's where I think too, just understanding that you're doing this for you mm-hmm. and not everyone's going to understand that. And not to rag on Mountain Dew, but I mean, when I first met my husband, we've been together for eight years now, almost, almost nine. And when we first met, obviously this is my job and I've been doing it for 13 years. So I was well into my years of working on my health and my own personal journey. And when we first met, I mean, he was a hot mess. (laughs) Like he was drinking Mountain Dew. He was doing all these things and I didn't shame him about it. It wasn't this, you're not for me if you're not doing the exact same thing. It was a conversation that he had to learn what he wanted from his own journey, like Emily said. Mm -hmm. And your why has to be better and bigger than just the temporary things because yeah. those are important. Yeah. And that's a, yeah, that's a great point because I was thinking about that to that time when you first met him and the 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 commonality and same with you, Em and Nick. It's like you both were confident, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the when we see it, the problematic is a patient earlier in their journey, right? Yes. They're not confident, mm-hmm. right. exactly. They're rattled by the people that they love and the mm-hmm. things that they say, yeah, hundred. And we have to make them unrattleable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like you don't have to <laughs> exactly. do this for anybody else but yourself. This exactly. is why you should be doing it for yourself. We talk about it so much, and I honestly love that we we've tried to create such a culture of support system, not only just within our team too, but even with some of our patients too, like we have opportunities for them to even like talk and stuff to like with like different like group calls and things like that, where yeah. they can feel like they have yes. a support system that where someone is going through that same thing. That's a thing. great point. Yes. We'll be that support system if they need, mm-hmm. if they don't yeah. have anybody. And those group calls, you're right. Cause the group That's calls so are these zoom calls where people can, there are other people that are going through things like you. Yeah. yeah. And so it's not just a clinical mm-hmm. support. You have this personal support with people around the world that are feeling like you're feeling. Yeah. Well, that's and why overcoming the things are you're overcoming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why they're successful yeah. is because we're not saying, here's your diet. Good luck in your life. Take this well, supplement. Yes. No. Yeah. We're, we we, we get it. Life is happening to you. Yeah. So a lot with our patients of like, yes. I've been there. Like we, we each have our own personal stories too, of kind mm-hmm. of what has opened our eyes to this as well. And we do, yeah. we, we get personal and open up about that. Listen to the end of the mental health is physical health episodes. Just go back and look through the episodes because at the end of those episodes, we talk to patients. I have this really personal conversation with one patient at a time. Talk about the things we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We love these people. Yeah. To live your healthiest, longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source. Your body. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. Inside Tracker provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live healthier, longer. Inside Tracker can also calculate your biological age, the rate at which you're aging from the inside out compared to your chronological age as well as ways to lower your biological age based on your own unique bio-individual recommendations from Inside Tracker. The thing that I love the most about Inside Tracker is that they give you these very actionable recommendations 
on things you can actually control to optimize your health and longevity, like the foods to focus on based on your labs, which supplements to focus on based on your labs, and workouts for your body and other lifestyle choices. And did you know that you can actually use your HSA, your health savings account, your HRA, your FSA, your FlexBend account to buy any Inside Tracker plan, which means you can purchase Inside Tracker using your tax free dollars. It gets better. For a limited time, you get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with science backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, then visit insidetracker.com slash art of being well that's insidetracker.com slash art of being well a dear media original podcast what's up you guys we're back that we are back to the beach with Kristen and steven is back for season two and honestly guys i think we got something even more unpredictable than season one we've got the new cast members we've got the old cast members and we've got some opportunists. Oh, God. But don't worry, you guys. We're going to break it all down, and we're going to do it with some major guests this season. Yeah, so tune in every Tuesday for Season 2 of Back to the Beach. A Dear Media original. All right, let's get to the next question. Let's go to it. Okay, what are the health benefits of cuddling and physical touch? Asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Did you submit this Is question, it me? Holly? <laughs> so there's a lot of benefits. I've written about this at on the at drworldcool.com, just this exciting, like cool science around this. A lot of it's intuition intuition. Like we know intuitively as humans that there are benefits to this, but it's really cool, I think, to see the science of the mechanisms. One, uh, first of all, cuddling improves sleep. Close to 22 million Americans struggle with sleep problems or, or more. I mean, it's just like it could be caused by sleep apnea or other sleep issues, just not getting good sleep. And studies have shown that administering oxytocin can improve the quality amount of sleep as well as improve other health problems. But more research needs to be done. But one of the mechanisms that they're postulating is that cuddling which increases oxytocin, can improve sleep. We know physical touch can curb cravings and halt, actually halt weight gain as well. <laughs> Always laughing. All of these things. <laughs> Where's my man? We're currently uh, accepting applications. <laughs> <laughs> it, that, it's been shown to have a beneficial <laughs> aspect on our metabolism and lo- because it lowers stress levels, right? It lowers cortisol. It can help with the body to be more in a parasympathetic state, which is conducive to blood sugar balance and to metabolic health. It's been shown to ease chronic pain because of its modulation of oxytocin as well. And there's been studies to show cuddling can strengthen the immune system, mentioned lowering inflammation levels, reduce anxiety because of, again, oxytocin's impact on this. And of course, not just physiological health, but societal health, it improves relationships as well. So it's important. I mean, phys- that's why physical touch is a love language. Uh, and all of us as communal beings, some people I think have a bigger maybe need for it than others, but it's important for every human, right? I mean, that's why one of the reasons why people that are in the process of adopting, especially internationally, right, Andrea, that yeah. physical touch and connection, human connection is so important. 
kids have been in adoption centers. Yeah, the reason Will shifted that over to me is my husband and I are actually in the process of our adoption. We're adopting from South Korea, which their adoption, the way that they nurture their kids is a little bit different than other foreign country, countries like China or even Thailand. They're more familial, so they're trying to place them with a foster home, whereas they're rather than an orphanage. But obviously, the biggest thing, whether they're in an orphanage or in a foster home, is when you first get the baby when they're home, you're actually supposed to be, regardless of any age, the only one that's feeding them, changing their diaper, picking them up, putting them to bed. The reason you're doing this, the reason you're incurring this physical touch, this support, this care is because you're bonding and you're creating a safe place. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. it's regulating the nervous system. Yes. Yeah. It's calming wow. their system down for a baby that maybe they all they knew their early years. Was neglect. Yeah. And so- Was, it, Is in a crib and- right. And that's actually a bad thing. Like, well, there are certain times that babies will get to the point where they no longer cry when they need something because they know no one's mm -hmm. coming for them. Right. Mm -hmm. And we don't, as a society, we when someone's crying out, this is why you don't ignore it, mm -hmm. is because they'll, eventually they're going to stop and that's when it's a problem. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you don't ever want to ignore those cries for help whenever you see it. So yeah. even if it's just a gentle pat on the back, a firm hand on the shoulder, a hug, Society needs that touch because they're looking for you to fill that gap for them while they're healing. So yeah. I, I think that that's wow. something we, I wish we could do with patients being yeah. telehealth. I can't yeah. hug right, you, right. but we I do. We say that oftentimes. If <laughs> yeah. I could hug you right <laughs> yes. now, I would. We say that Yes, often. we literally Aww. do say that. So you're saying, Andrea, that when Will and I want to give you a hug and we want, <laughs> we're asking for you to hug us back, okay. that you can't say no anymore. Andrea is, is very <laughs> waspy in that way. She's like that the white Anglo-Saxon product. Protestant, like just not as physical. No, no, and then Emily's no. coming from the Italian background, which is like, like kiss on the cheek, yeah, like, come on. Well, you know, yeah. you know what cuddle. it is. It's normally you want to cuddle me when I'm having a hard time and I'm controlling my emotions. I hear you. And Everybody so, oh, yeah. has their healthy boundaries Make and yes. we respect it. Yes, they. No, I yeah, don't always. Okay. Sometimes. <laughs> I try to respect about. it. You respect it for everybody but me, which <laughs> <Yeah>. is fine because <laughs> I love you. But it's it's but that's the whole thing. The reason that you feel that way and the reason I don't want to be touched is because of that strong emotion. A lot of people, this is like the deep breathing, the yoga, the, mm -hmm. the meditation. You or someone hugs you and you start crying more. It's because it's yeah. that release of emotion, right? I, I, uh, the fact that this question came in, like it's from a somatic standpoint. Yes, I actually yeah. get to talk about this research in gut feelings, just giving this book a shout out right now because the, there's practices, even if you aren't in a relationship of physical touch for yourself, which I'll give Andrea a chance to share this one study, but just, I mean, body tapping, yeah, giving yourself a hug has been shown to have similar benefits of just calming the nervous system, letting you know you're safe and grounded and you're hypervigilant, sympathetic, fight or flight, stressed, nervous system can start to calm down and the parasympathetic can start to be supported. So you don't have to, yes, relationships are important. Yes. But we also need to improve our relationship with ourselves. 100%. So true. Yeah. And I think something simple, and I think this is what you want me to talk about, is normally on mental health is physical health. Candace and I give little tips of like, hey, try this. This is so simple. And if this is something that you feel like you are in need of physical touch or you're feeling slightly anxious or you your brain your you know mind is spinning turmoil whatever it is there are studies that show that simply by placing your hand on your chest preferably on bare skin 
and holding it there firmly, not pushing hard, but like firmly. This is going to release the same hormones that are released when someone hugs you. So it's it's a way of hugging yourself rather than like, and it's something you can do in public. You know, if you wrap your arms around yourself and start rocking at work, people are probably going <laughs> to stare at you. But you simply- Not here. <laughs> I was going to say. Not here. That's me doing that. <laughs> but if you just, it's something you can do on a train, on a, on a plane, in a an automobile. Okay. <laughs> Traveling we go. <laughs> but I was just thinking, I was like, are you okay? Yes, I'm just hugging myself right now. <laughs> but that's, but it's seriously, you can do it at work. You can do it when you're walking. You can, it's just pl- firmly placing your hand there. I encourage you to do some gentle breathing, even whether it's just in and out, you don't have to hold it if it's uncomfortable, but even just in and out, slight breathing, taking that time, pausing and putting your hand on your chest is a very simple way to calm that central nervous system and allow your body to feel safe. Yeah. And wow. and if there's also this is a very more out of the box maybe for some people, but there are professional oh cuddlers as well. There are we looked into it. <laughs> I found two what seems to be legitimate websites. Okay. Now would I personally do it? I can't guarantee you that I would. I would rather give myself a hug than potentially get killed. <laughs> but <laughs> Enjoy the cuddling. Yes, because I would. If I didn't know the person and I, no. someone's behind me, yeah. like spooning me, I'm not trying. You know what? what, what do they have a knife? knife? Do they have a gun? Like yes. But that's you know the what? messed up world we that we do live in. We want to give props yeah. to it because it does help some it, people. It helps some people. Okay. And I know some people that have said, "I would totally be down to do this." I'll leave. Yeah. And I was, <laughs> yeah. She oh, said yeah. it. <laughs> so I know people that are like completely average Normal. people. They're like. I mean, because it's different. We're not always talking the opposite sex either. You could be thinking like a grandma, like yeah. someone's holding you, hugging you, like a, a mom. mom like, dad. I've just watched too much crime TV for this. Yeah. There's okay. just so much to think about with this physical touch cuddling. Yeah. Like even if you, you know, as a kid, maybe you didn't really get a lot of just whatever physical yeah. touch from your family. Just well, and there are. I mean, again, you look at people with the way that they feel loved too. I mean, mm-hmm. physical touch is definitely is you know, a language to some people that they need maybe more so than another person too. Yeah. So I think what, that, what are the websites? Oh my gosh. I had one. Oh my gosh. One is called cuddlecomfort.com. Oh, that sounds sweet. And one I think was called cuddle companions. Okay. So, so these yeah, are vetted. I'm sure I'm it's assuming, innocent yes. and, and I'm all sure of that. I mean, you hire people thing. to watch your kids. I just, I, I saw yeah, a, right, but, C, I saw a CNN piece with Lisa Ling. If you have not seen Lisa Ling's reporting in her show, it's freaking amazing. But she did a whole piece about the cuddle industry and it's a legitimate thing. And the people yeah, are vetted. Yeah. They're professionals. Huh, it's more so common in Asian cultures than it is here. In I, like Japan and Korea and China. There's a Japanese concept, not, it's kind of the same. It's, it has to do with oxytocin actually. It's mm-hmm. called ruikatsu. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it translates as tear seeking. And it is people meeting communally to just cry because crying releases oxytocin. Yes. Yes. And it, crying feels so good. Yeah. So it's a good cry. We also do that here. Um, yeah. yeah we so do. there's a lot of cool signs and a lot of we it just like cuddling or crying has to do with oxytocin and sort of the therapeutic benefits on our nervous system and our endocrine system and our, our brain health. Brain health. So very cool. Very yeah, cool signs. That's, really that's a great question. Great question. Yeah. Holly. I mean, I was asking for a friend. (laughs) Her name is Molly B. (laughs) Okay, next question. I have seen that there are a lot of more healthy brands of chocolate to choose from. Do you recommend these as an okay option to have regularly? And if so, what brand is best? 
Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of data around some health benefits of chocolate. Let's go through one. Just from a nutrient density standpoint, a typical 100 gram bar of dark chocolate, which is about 70 to 85% of cocoa or cacao, has about 11 grams of fiber, 66% of the daily value of iron, 57% daily value of mag- magnesium, 196% daily value of copper, which that can impact neurotransmitter health as well, 85% of the daily value of manganese, which things like glyphosate can deep deplete manganese. You need these for mitochondrial health and immune health as well. So from a nutrient density, and as well as potassium, zinc, selenium, selenium deficiencies are quite common. Zinc is obviously really important as well. So nutrient density, there's some solid reasons why someone could bring that as part of a larger, well-balanced way of eating. Great source of antioxidants as well. It, it's, there's studies to show that it, it can improve blood flow and lower blood pressure potentially for some people. It can be a benefit of helping to support the increase of HDL or good cholesterol and decrease LDL oxidation, which one of the labs that we run for patients is what's called a nuclear magnetic resonance. So we're looking for these small dense LDL particles, which are the protein carriers of cholesterol. And because of the antioxidants, because of the nutrient density, and the healthy fats from the chocolate, it can be a one tool. It's not gonna be a magic cure-all to improve your cholesterol levels, but it can be a supportive tool here. And also there's interesting study to show that it may protect your skin from the sun. This bioactive compounds in dark chocolate may actually be great for your skin. The flavanols can protect against sun damage, improving blood flow to the skin and increase skin density and hydration. So some cold studies have shown that this minimal erythemal dose, the MED, is the minimum amount of UB rays required to cause redness in the skin 24 hours after exposure. And studies have shown that MED can increase and even double after consuming high antioxidant-rich dark chocolate or cacao for this study looked at 12 weeks. So basically the result is your skin has better protection, better hydration, better skin barrier against the sun. So I don't think this should be in replacement of sunscreen, but it's definitely (laughs) some cool studies. And there's studies just so to improve brain function and pleasure because of the opioid. So what you're saying is don't go outside and rub yourself with melted chocolate. It's not the same thing. You will be like a- You might get a free cuddle though. (laughs) Yes, you may. Yes, that's true. Anyways, I think there's a lot of cool benefits around. There's a recent study that comes to mind about- did you guys see this about how chocolate, how, why chocolate feels so good? Yes, I thought yes. it was fascinating. And it, the study showed it's all about mouth lubrication. Uh-huh, how and it melts right in your mouth. Mm-hmm. And the fat <laughs> and the scent memory and the taste memory kind of gets the saliva going. So there's That a, makes sense because yeah. it does feel good when that chocolate goes, you know, a little melty. Yeah. You know what hey. I'm saying? It says, if this, I just pulled the study up. It said if a chocolate has 5% fat or 50% fat, it will still form droplets in the mouth. And that gives you the chocolate sensation. That's wild. How, I can picture how it feels. It says, however, it is the location of the fat in the makeup of chocolate, which matters in each stage of lubrication. And that has been rarely researched. Mm. So they the tests were conducted after 
using a luxury brand of dark chocolate, they don't say which one, on an artificial 3D tongue-like surface <laughs> that was what? designed at the University of Leeds in the UK. The researchers used analytical techniques from a field of engineering called tribology to conduct the study, which included in-situ imaging. So fascinating. I know that wasn't the question, but I wanted to pull that study up of just the mechanisms of why people love chocolate so much. So there are some health benefits to chocolate. What are some of the downsides, team? What What are things people should look out for? One, the type of sweetener that it's being sweetened yeah. with. I think sugar, mm -hmm. you got to think about that. You also have to think about the type of oils or stabilizers that they're using in this. Yep, yep. You want a good chocolate that, I mean, again, real whole food is real whole food and chocolate can be a real whole food. So eating evolved, eating evolved, I think is the chocolate. They That's like their tagline is that chocolate yeah. is food. Yeah, so quality say, is everything for sure. Yeah. Um, so like what sunflower oil, safflower oil, different things like that. You want to be co cognizant of what are some other additives? Well, there, I don't I mean, buy them anymore. So I don't know what the there have been some reports coming out too, even of talking about, you know, containing lead and some different heavy metals as well. And, you know, obviously we don't know all of the research behind that yet as to what's going on. Cause it honestly tested a lot of different chocolate bars and, and companies, but even that report said you don't necessarily have to give this up completely, but like just be mindful maybe about how often you're having it or making sure that you're trying to get good quality brands, mm -hmm. you know, that are are going to show you that they're sourcing these in well-sourced places. Yeah, mold is something I totally, yeah. I wasn't even yeah. thinking mold, heavy yeah, metals. Yeah, a lot of our mold sensitive patients have to be mindful of those. Yeah. So look, it's a wonderful decadent, enjoy, a source of enjoyment for so many people. And I think that the benefits outweigh any potential yeah. drawbacks. Yes, absolutely. Right? So, but it's a treat. It's not like you're making, and I think of like sort of the heavy metal lead side, side of things, like you probably have to have such copious amounts yes, chronically over time yeah. and then have somebody that's not a good detox or a methylator. So I, I don't think people should be worried about it, but I would get a brand that third-party tests for these things, exactly. that, like pure, yes. good ingredients. But certain crops absorb more nutrients, more things from the soil than others. So, you know, if if chocolate, the cacao plant is absorbing more metals like lead from the soil, mm -hmm. that's probably where mm -hmm. it came from. Mm -hmm. I didn't look at that report specifically, but but that's in a lot of different crops. Yeah. Potentially. It could yes. potentially in different grains, rice. It could be, mm -hmm. I mean, there's tons of examples of that. It's not just about chocolate. Coffee. But yeah, coffee. But just look at the sugar content more than anything else. Yes. Yeah. Favorite yeah. brands? Anyway, I know, yeah, Andrea, you can definitely give some recommendations oh, here. Honey Mama. We Honey love Mama. Honey Mama. So good. Honey Mama. And they, they're you very, are, they love us too. No, they, yes. they are the, it's they're a, sweet, We're all big sweet. fans of Honey Mama. Honey yeah. Mama is really good. And then Hue. Yes. Oh, Hue oh. Chocolate. That's some, that's, I'm, I'm want some chocolate now. I'm fasting from these types of things. So now this is just kind of torturous, but I would say Honey but, Mama and Hue are my, are yeah, my top definitely the, the top favorites. For sure. Can we do it real quick of what our past was before we were healthy? What was our favorite chocolate before we made good choices? I am not the right person to ask. I'm I not am. a huge chocolate Absolutely. person. I don't really love chocolate either. But you yeah. loved Reese's. It's like That's because of the peanut butter. It's like peanut That's butter against chocolate, yes. Did you like peanut yeah. butter I would have preferred a full peanut butter. No, I've never had pe yeah. peanut butter fingers. It's got like, um, yeah. Yeah, peanut yeah, no, butter I would say butterfinger. Yeah. If okay, I so, had to have oh chocolate gosh, before this, yeah, it would have been that. a butterfinger. When I was a teenager, it, I Reese's peanut butter cup, but honestly, oh. I tolerated the chocolate. 
to yes. get to the peanut butter. I would fully agree with you. Yeah. Tolerated I don't disagree it. with that. Not, not my preference. But yes, I mean, definitely a Butterfinger or a Reese's. I'll I would it. still yeah. eat a Reese's. I just want everyone <laughs> that, to know. Someone was saying this like conventional candy. I... There's we so know many- how you feel. Holly asks you all the time. And I That's just, why I I'm said saying, it's controversial to bring. There are up. so many better for you options out yes. there that aren't yeah. health foods, but have way better ingredients. And it's like if I'm gonna have something with sugar in it, I'm gonna get something with not all the yeah. chemicals Even and better like quality. Lily's sourcing. has like their peanut butter cups now yes. too. Like right. And then there's with no- stevia sweetened yeah. versus regular mm-hmm. sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is too many good <laughs> options. And and quite honestly, they taste better. If you want that mouth feel with the melted you chocolate and honey mama right up there. So I would say I, that I don't know. Are- I love Dove milk chocolate. Oh my God. <laughs> Judge me if you want. We're still not we're, judging you, at listen, least externally. If you're a chocolate company, <laughs> if if you're Honey Mama, Hugh, if you're listening, we need to do some work on Holly, okay? We're working yeah, we on do. it. I will say, though, I, you know what? I, I've switched to nut pods. So hey, here we are. Well, there's a guy. Wow. Here we are. <laughs> oh, okay. There's so one. true. I love right. it. I love it. All right, so that was the last question, that was right? The last now we're going to jump right into Science Corner. Science, Science Corner. Corner. <laughs> that was a good segue. <laughs> Science Corner. Oh, that was not Welcome as good. to Science Corner. But this is a time where we're going to share some cool health science for you to impress your friends and family with and reference like you're an aficionado. Yes. So, what's the study for today? Okay, so I'm going to have you read the title. However, this is a great study on time-restricted feeding. Take it over, Dr. Cole. So this is published in Cell Metabolism recently. Diurnal transcriptome landscape of a multi-tissue response of time-restricted feeding in mammals. So look, there is so many good studies out there with human studies and just different human studies. But we also tend to on this podcast, not intentionally pick some mice studies, which people now that listen to the podcast crack up about this whole thing. But anyway, so this is numerous studies have shown the health benefits of time-restricted eating, including an increase in lifespan and longevity in studies, making practices like intermittent fasting. This, of course, everybody knows this is hot topic in the wellness world. However, this researchers in this study wanted to look at how fasting impacted the body on a molecular level and how those changes interact across multiple organ systems to better understand it. So this the scientists here looked at how time-restricted eating, i.e. a form of intermittent fasting, impacted mice and how it influences gene expression across more than 22 regions of the body and the brain. Gene expression is the process through which genes are activated and respond to their environment by creating different proteins. So nearly what they found were that that the fasting activated these beneficial gene pathways. Nearly 40% of genes in the adrenal gland, the hypothalamus of the brain, and the pancreas were affected by time-restricted eating. These organs, again, are, we know, important, very important for hormone balance, hormone regulation, and hormones coordinate different functions of the body and the brain. And hormone imbalances are implicated in many different disease processes from diabetes with insulin signaling issues to people that have hypothalamic pituitary adrenal or what they call adrenal fatigue issues, which really is a brain-based issue. So the result offers, the result of the study offers the researchers guidance to how time-restricted eating may help manage 
these different health problems. So we see this clinically all the time. Fasting can be a wonderful tool within the toolbox. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We never would advocate someone to fast their way out of a poor diet, but an intuitive fasting, i.e. the title of our third book here, is a great tool to use to sort of check in with your body and intuitively know how you can nourish your body with this hormetic effect, right? This good stress on the body that can make your cells more resilient. And the study also looked at the different circadian rhythms of different hormones of the body and how the fasting helps to modulate the circadian mm -hmm. rhythm, which I talked about the research of this in intuitive fasting, how not just the endocrine system circadian rhythm, but the gut microbiome circadian rhythm seems to be from the studies. Fasting is a way to reset the circadian rhythm of the gut microbiome, which is fascinating throughout the day because yeah. our gut microbiome has a similar circadian rhythm as our endocrine system. That meaning mm -hmm. certain bacteria are higher at certain times of the day. And many people, we know this from labs, mm -hmm. have very much imbalanced dysbioses, bacterial overgrowth, yeast and fungal overgrowth. And fasting can be a tool to help to modulate the microbiome's circadian rhythm. Yeah. I, I thought it was super interesting too how it, it talked about that not all sections of the di digestive tract were affected equally. And that's leading to more studies for shift workers, mm. which we know their circadian rhythm is definitely disrupted by that, but it's leading to more studies on how that is going to affect their digestive system too. I thought that was really cool. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Any thoughts, Andrea? I mean, I would follow along the same lines of what we talked about is when you're looking at, if you want to look at this study and not be overwhelmed by it, again, it's not about perfection of like, if you're a yeah. nighttime worker, a nighttime nurse or a truck driver or pilot, you're not going to be able to optimize those things. But I think it's really good for us to start. And I love that the research is there to start thinking about how do we optimize then when we are actually able to rest and sleep and what can we do yeah. to set our circadian rhythm so that it does follow as long as along a normal hormone path as you would want it to. Yeah. And the next phase of the study, the, the researchers are going to look at atherosclerosis, they're going to look at heart disease, stroke, risk factors, chronic kidney disease, mm -hmm. and how fasting may be a beneficial tool for these issues as well. Yeah. And I have to say, there's already studies for a lot of these, but I'm glad that more studies are coming out Yes, yeah, um, yeah. to look at the mechanisms to help more people. Yeah. I mean, it, it all makes sense to me. We see this every day with patients. Mm -hmm. you, see, you see patients that are having difficulty with, you know, getting into sunlight whenever they need to reset their circadian rhythm, or they are not able, they're eating at weird times because that's when they have time to eat, which then messes with things. So it, it's this constant cycle of them needing to figure out what is and is not working for their body. And I think that the more research that comes out, the better it's going to be because the more people will get educated about mm -hmm. it and what they can do and Obviously, we wrote books about it for a reason. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that we think this works and you don't, it, it's not suited for everybody. But like Will said, I mean, there, there are times and places to utilize these in some capacity to get the health benefits. Yeah. What, what do you, you all, what type of intermittent fasting? What's your typical window well, that yeah. you do? Yeah. For me, people are always amazed by this. They're like, what do you mean? You need to eat breakfast. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't want, I don't need breakfast to feel awake. I don't need breakfast 
to function. I'm not starving by breakfast. So my normal eating window is between, it could be 1130, depending on what my work schedule is in the afternoon or 12 o'clock or 1230 or even one o'clock. So sometime between 1130 to one, I'm eating lunch and then I'm eating dinner between 630 and 730. Those are my two meals of the day. I don't really snack all that often because that to me tells me that I'm not eating enough during my meals, which is another big sign. Yeah. So you're about yeah. a 16, mm-hmm. eight. Yeah. I would say that that's probably yeah. right. I'm fasting probably around 16 hours. I'm never a, eating later than 8 p.m. Yeah. So yeah. 16 8 is a moderate, in my opinion, moderate way of eating. It's yeah. not extreme. No, yeah. I don't what feel about hungry. You, what do you do? No, that's typically where I ideally like to be. I'd say just with sometimes how life gets so busy, I will say when I have eaten later, especially after following a uh, eating window like that, I don't feel well. Like I will wake up feeling more tired. I'll wake up already feeling just off. So I I have, sometimes I struggle to get it, you know, my dinner in by that time, but I definitely don't feel well if I end up eating later. So I would typically follow that. Sometimes on the weekends we'll do breakfast because the kids, but yeah, Mm-hmm. Honestly, I feel better if I follow that eating window. And yeah. it's not a hard or fast roll. I'm not like gonna. Yeah. I'm gonna be like, I don't eat until noon, so I'm not eating. It's 10 a.m. and but my stomach's growling and I'm feeling not good. Yeah. It's there's definitely it's intuitive. To it. You want to mm-hmm. find what works. Mm-hmm. I mean, Emily and I at least as often as we can, we will even practice this quarterly is we'll do an OMAD, which we'll do yeah. one meal a day. So meaning mm-hmm. we'll fast throughout mm-hmm. the day and break our fast at dinner time. So say Sunday night will be my last meal. And then my next meal won't be till Monday yeah. dinner time. I've definitely gotten so much more open to that in probably the last year and a half, just because yeah. I used to not enjoy fasting at all. And I, I mean, I don't know that I would say I enjoy it, but <laughs> I know I feel so much better on it. I sleep better. I have just the energy. I th- can think more clear. So yeah, I honestly, I really enjoy like- I feel like I wake up more alert. Yeah. Yeah. And so much of that, again, looking at the mechanisms, you have to think about what's happening there, right? It's, it's supporting yeah. autophagy pathways, cellular yes. renewal, yeah. the, the brain's, uh, the body's ability to clean up any extra debris in the brain, mm-hmm. helping the brain's immune system as far as inflammation is concerned, but also- from a blood sugar standpoint, yes. the modulation of the gut microbiome and the gut brain axis. There's a lot of far reaching benefits of sensible time compressed feeding. Yeah. So yeah, and you're not restricted for this, for people that are newer to the fasting conversation, this form of intermittent fasting that we're talking about is not caloric restriction. No, no. You're still no. eating the same amount of foods, nutrient dense foods, nourishing foods, but just within a specific window. So it doesn't have to yes. do with any calorie restriction at all. No, it's a, and I think that's the common misconception. Like, well, you need breakfast. You need to eat. I'm like, well, again, no, I mean, you should see my lunches. Yeah. I'm having, today I have a stew, a sauteed zucchini, some lamb. Like, I'm definitely eating. I'm just not mm-hmm. eating breakfast. And even for my kids, I'll say this. Maybe I'm going to get a lot of flack from parents. But my kids, they don't like breakfast on school days. They don't want to eat. They're not, like, they're not starving. The last thing I want to do is you know, forcing forcing them to eat food. They're hungry. They'll tell me they're big enough. Now they're going (laughs) to, they're going to say, I want to eat. I'm not going to sit down and be like, no, here's your gluten-free piece of toast that I'm going to make you eat because I have to send you off to school with a full stomach. Mm-hmm. I, If they're hungry, they're going to tell me. If they're not, I'm letting them be intuitive too. I'm letting them tell me what feels good for them. And if they come home from school and they're eating, you know, an entire cucumber salad and tuna salad and good, that's fine. That's what they have found they feel good on. But I think that 
as adults, we've become so ingrained with this. This is how you yes, have to do this. This is the way we did it. This, this is, is the way, way you did it. And you have up. to have yeah. your snack and what your kids snack. And then they have to have an after school. Like there's like these things yeah. of things that we've been forced <laughs> down. And it's like, well, have you actually stopped to ask yourself, are you even hungry? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like are you even, my kids tell me they're not hungry. They don't have to eat. Yep. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a pretty strict parent, but when it comes to stuff like that, I'm, I'm not going to force these weird archaic sort of cultural, like uh, food pyramid yeah. sort of things on my kids when they can learn and feel, and they'll actually know hunger cues. Now they'll know when they're hungry and when they need, when they need to eat and when they're full. Whereas comparatively, if I'm just forcing myself or my family to eat just because of, to meet these things, I, we know that fasting can be good and it's okay to allow your body to be intuitive in that mm-hmm. regard. Yeah. And just like you said, it's just like normal hunger cues, checking in with your body for kids specifically. We're not recommending kids to do like no. multiple water day fasts <laughs> or anything like that. No, my kids, <laughs> no, trust me, they're, they're eating their seven plates of dinner. I mean, I have a, a 11 and a 14 year old son and they are, they are definitely, it, they, you know, I, I think that there's a cutoff. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's so funny. It's like what we have to think about intentionally because for most people, not everybody, that the amount of access to food is so great and we're so out of touch with our own rhythms yes. that we we call it intermittent fasting, but our ancestors would just call it life. It's like <laughs> uh, we eat when we're hungry. True. Yeah. Or, I mean, it, or there's times of intentionally going without or because of scarcity or mm-hmm. hunting we had to wait right exactly um, we're well, just getting so true we're getting back between the rhythms of what our genetics would have evolved with so most religions regardless of your religion incur some sort of fasting in some capacity yeah. there's a reason for that and they may not have known the science or the literature and have been able to read this article, but they would have been able to intuitively know and listen to their body. And they, it brought that level of healing spiritually, physically, and especially when animals get sick, guess what they do? They fast and they fast because they know that they're sick. Mm -hmm. And we have as a people lost our ability to be aware of this. Mm -hmm. And I I think that this study and the different things that we're reading about this are really important to have this talk because I think what we have done for thousands of years has been forced into some commercialized Cheerio commercials that we need to start our morning with these things Mm -hmm. without actually stopping to think if that's even what our bodies need. Yeah, you're right. And even from a religious standpoint, you're right. You think of Ramadan, Yom Kippur, Tishba'ab in Judaism, and it, Ramadan with Islam, Christianity, Lent started out as fasting to Eastern religions too. Even from a medicinal standpoint, yes. you look at Paracelsus, one of the fathers of toxicology called fasting, the physician within. Hippocrates used fasting. So even from a early a medicine days, it's yes. been used for a long time to cure different things yeah. or support different things. I, I saw a meme once. It said, or recently, my wife showed it to me. She said, I love how cute millennials are and they they call skipping breakfast intermittent fasting. <laughs> I'm fully aware that it's not, it doesn't need to be a thing. Yeah, but no. the, sci- the reason why is there's a lot of cool science in the journals yes. that we just mentioned one of them of how 16.8 or 18.6 or yes. very, mm-hmm. even a 12.12, just allowing a couple of hours after dinner, before you go to sleep. So you're yes. fasting at least 12 hours overnight t- until you break the fast at breakfast in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Can but, we talk about a random thing real quick? Because sure. I think this kind of goes along this. I, it's completely not 
anything study-wise, but I thought it was a cool fact. We were researching turtles the other day that hibernate and they have to quit eating two weeks before they actually start their hibernation or yes. their food will rot in their stomach. Yes. What? Kind of think about wow. that when, like in a small scale way, yeah. Not eating before bed is probably good because yeah. your body yeah. can do what it These has to do. These are the things that oh we gosh, research that at the so clinic too. Yes, that's yeah. insane. So for all the turtles that listen to the art of being well, I mean, you probably know we that understand. intuitively already. When yeah. We get it. I know that was we random, don't want any but it made food rotting in your stomach at all. I promise. Wow, that's fascinating. So next time you want to eat before bed, think about that. Think about that turtle. And there we go. <laughs> So what, we, at That's the end of every funny. Ask Me Anything episode, we have some inspirational 90s song because health oh, yes. and music. I forgot about okay. it too. Listen, music what was is the one medicine. you had? The common question is sparking a song. Mariah Carey, are you Mariah Carey person, Holly? What what song are you thinking sweet, over there? Sweet, sweet fantasy, baby. <laughs> That's I don't know favorite. that one. That's my son's favorite song. Yeah. He's 16 years old. You don't know Fantasy by Mariah Carey? Wait, and, no. and the remix of ODB? Wow. Holly, yes. even I Sing know that. Sing it I mean, I'm She's not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I don't know why, but every time we talk about this song selection, Say It Ain't So by Weezer is just like, <laughs> I know that I, we did that we did one, that already, one yeah. time, but like that is the But what the was the song you were singing this morning? The only song I can hear in my head right now <laughs> is Say It Ain't So by Weezer. What was the song you sang this morning? It was from the uh, 90s. You were, it was like. I honestly have been oh, thinking about it this whole time and oh. say it's say was, it ain't so was, is it. Was it there she goes? There she goes. Sing it. <laughs> there she goes again. <laughs> so there you had it. The sorority sisters. We're back. We're back. We back. Yes, we are. All right, everybody. If you want to learn more about the clinical work that we do, the telehealth center and becoming a patient, gut feelings, you can learn about it all at drwillcole.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back every Monday and Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.